Welcome to Beneath the Rim, covering everything that's happening in and around the NBA. You're about to hear one of our layup episodes. Quick hits of information to keep you up to date on what's happening, but short enough to squeeze in during your morning drive. Check back on Sundays for the full court episode, where host Kevin Kloss chats with the brightest minds covering the league. Now time for the show. Welcome to Beneath the Rim. Happy to be a part of the Roto Heat family of podcasts. And Roto Heat also has you covered with redraft information, dynasty draft information, articles, podcasts, Facebook Lives, and a Discord chat. Find more information at rotoheat.com. I'm Kevin Kloss, and this week we are kicking off our team reviews for the offseason and what we think the upcoming season could look like. And we're going to start today with the Atlanta Hawks. We're going to try to go alphabetically. Whether or not we make a mistake here or there, that's kind of up to be... We're going to try to go alphabetically, so that's why we're starting in Atlanta. And I didn't want to say these are team previews because so much is going to change in between now and the start of the season, but we do want to take a look at what what these teams had last year, what we think they'll have going into the coming year, and just some of the pieces that have moved in and moved out over the last couple of months. So when we look at the starting five, what we expect on Atlanta, you know, promising rookie in Trey Young. I really liked him at Oklahoma. At his height, he was National Player of the Year candidate, and Oklahoma was ranked number one in college basketball. At their lowest, he was seen as a turnover machine, and Oklahoma just lost an absurd amount of games in a row before sneaking into the NCAA tournament and then ultimately getting bounced in the first round. But I really like Trey Young. I think he profiles as just such a great shooter, a good playmaker. If you don't watch him, you might think you might not understand how great of a passer he really is. But Trey Young's a solid piece, a piece that's not going anywhere. They're going to build around him for years to come. Kevin Herter is the shooting guard. I hear him talked up a lot in different NBA circles. I'm not a big Kevin Herter guy. I think his game at Maryland was okay. I feel like he was overdrafted when he came out. He can shoot the rock for sure. He can defend a little bit, but just not a guy who I'm wild about as my starting shooting guard, but for the system that they're running in Atlanta, and we'll talk about that a little bit, he fits what they're trying to do. Now, small forward is kind of interesting. If you look at who are some options who they could play at small forward, they could try to put Alan Crabb over at small forward. They could try to put DeAndre Bembry, who really got a lot better last year, and he's a guy who... I think he profiles as a really good wing defender, good slasher. So he could be a guy who I think could start at the three. But when we look at other options, the other options, we are going to skip over the draft picks for now. We're going to come back to those draft picks later. But Charlie Brown, no pun intended, is really the only other guy on the depth chart who looks like maybe he could slot in there. When we get to the draft picks that they made this past June, we'll talk more about where we think that option could come from at the three. At the four, I think it's pretty obvious. It's John Collins. I love John Collins. You know, he was hurt a good portion of last year, and so I think people maybe slept on him just a bit. But if you look at what he put up last year with Trey Young, I love the combination of John Collins and Trey Young. John Collins, to me, is a guy who could easily be averaging a double-double in this league or darn close to it 
for the next 10 years. I think he's an efficient scorer down low. I think he's a good defender, smart with the ball when he gets it on the block, can stretch the floor just a bit. I love John Collins. I think he is, without question, the starting four on this team. And we'll talk about some other additions they've made in just a minute. We look at center. It's probably going to be Alex Len. And it's not because I think Alex Len is this great basketball player. It's more so because they lost Dwayne Dedman, who I like a ton. Dwayne Dedman, to me, was a guy who could challenge shots at the rim, could step out and shoot the three, really was a good guy who could stretch the floor and could also rim protect. That's a valuable commodity to have in this league. And Alex Len, you get a guy who, for me, not real mobile, can defend the rim if you run into him, but he's not this versatile defender. He's not a dynamic playmaker. He's not this fluid center that we're seeing so many of these teams try to pick up and adapt to their style of play. He's the one piece that doesn't fit on this Atlanta team for me. You know, Atlanta over the last couple of years has kind of made this effort to say, we're going to try to become Warriors East to the point at which they pass up Luka Doncic, who was probably the best prospect for them to take in that draft. And they took Trey Young, who, as I said before, I think Trey Young is a great basketball player. So I have no issue with Trey Young. A lot of people are going to question why they passed on Luka. They passed on Luka because they believe in Trey Young and they believe in the system that they're going to try to play here in Atlanta. And for that system, if you're going to try to emulate what the Warriors do, the Warriors didn't really have a guy like Alex Len. I guess you could say Andrew Bogut in certain stretches is what Alex Len is as a starter for Atlanta. But I think when you saw Golden State at its best, they were going small. They had more of a versatile four, a versatile five, and Alex Len just doesn't give them that. But if that's the one weakness we see in the starting five that doesn't fit with the system, you know what, then so be it. Then that's the, that's the one flaw that we'll look at in the starting five. Now, when we look at draft picks, you know, the two biggest draft picks that are going to completely jump out to people are going to be the two lottery picks that they have, DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish. I will tell you right now, I love one of these picks, and I'm not wild about the other one. I love the Cam Reddish pick. Cam Reddish was a guy who his stock really fell during his one year at Duke. If we were to go back in time and we look at the rivals top 100 high school recruits heading into last year's college basketball season. Number one was number one was R.J. Barrett. You know, we've talked the R.J. Barrett was the number one recruit thing to death. So let's just get past that. But the point is, Barrett was one. Two was Nasir Little, who, as we've talked about before, didn't really play to the level that we thought he was capable of at North Carolina. But number three was Cam Reddish. You know, we want to talk about Zion's the best prospect we've seen since LeBron. Zion is going to change the way the game is played. We've never seen someone like Zion. He was the number five high school recruit last year, and Cam Reddish was three. So a year ago, Cam Reddish was seen as a better prospect than Zion Williamson. And now we're diminishing Reddish because of one year where he was forced to play on a Duke team. And I don't say forced like it was a burden, but he was playing on a Duke team with a system that was seemingly non-existent in terms of an offense. Zion Williamson, who was taking so much of the attention in terms of spotlight, intention in terms of touches, and R.J. Barrett, who, as we've discussed before, does the best when he's slashing to the rim, when he's driving the basketball. That requires the ball to be in his hands. 
And if we took a look back at that Duke team last year, really the only outside threat they had, the only shooter on that team, was Cam Reddish. And quickly on, you'll see he had a real good game against Kentucky in the opener for Duke. But let's face it, everybody played really well for Duke in that game. Once they got out of that game, teams slowly started to adjust. They saw that Zion wasn't going to hit threes consistently, Barrett wasn't going to shoot threes consistently, and that Cam Reddish was really the only consistent three-point threat on that team. Now, teams adjusted, and they adjusted by swinging more attention to Reddish, packing the lane a little bit more so that R.J. Barrett couldn't get those driving lanes, focusing on Zion, knowing the only real shooting threat they had to rotate over on was Cam Reddish. There wasn't another shooter on that team. And as strange as this sounds, and it may just sound to some people like I'm just the biggest Zion hater in the world, and I'm not. I think Zion is amazing. I think he's going to be a great pro. But if you look at those games that Zion Williamson missed after he Hulk smashed his shoe against North Carolina, Cam Reddish really showed what he's capable of in terms of scoring and in terms of playmaking. If you think of maybe the most iconic Duke win from last year, arguably, that's the comeback win against Louisville, where they were down and seemingly buried. They had no business coming back in that game. And you could look at a lot of different reasons why they came back. Zion played amazing, sure. RJ played amazing, absolutely. But you know who had a monster night as well? Was Cam Reddish. He doesn't get talked about in the same vein as RJ and is Zion, and I understand that's because he didn't produce at the same level as those guys. But less than a year ago, he was looked at as a better prospect than Zion, and the third overall prospect overall, I think he's going to be great in this team. In terms of shooting, while I don't love Herter, if you have Trey Young, Kevin Herter, and Cam Reddish on the floor, that is deadly shooting at the one, the two, and the three. And Cam Reddish is long. You know, we think about Cam Reddish. He's like 6'7". Cam Reddish is a good defender. He can defend, moves well with his feet, has quick active hands. He's good. So I think he should be a guy they should strongly consider starting at the f- at the three, rather. Now, the guy who's going to get a lot of call to start there could be DeAndre Hunter from Virginia. And trust me, I get the DeAndre Hunter hype. National champion. ACC dominant player. Here's the thing I don't get. How do we look at him and think that he is an above average NBA player for the next 10 years? I can't believe that that was the pick that the Hawks wanted to make it for. That the Hawks traded up to four to take DeAndre Hunter. Now, if this is just the system they want to play and they are completely dedicated to, hey, DeAndre Hunter is going to be our D wing guy. We think he can step out and shoot it. We think he can be a great 3 and D guy for us. Then I guess it makes sense. But as far as when I look at DeAndre Hunter, I see a guy who will be a solid 3 and D wing player, who will play smart basketball. He'll play good fundamental defense. He'll make the right play on offense. But the ceiling to me on DeAndre Hunter is so much lower than someone like Cam Reddish. I still cannot believe that DeAndre Hunter went that early. I understand that was the pedigree from college, and that was the hype, but if you look at the way the NBA game is played, 
it is played in a much more fluid state. It is played with a lot more three-point shooting. It is played with a lot more speed and a lot more transition. And virtually everything we just talked about is the opposite of what DeAndre Hunter was asked to do in Virginia. Virginia didn't play with speed. They didn't play with transition. Their offense was was very methodical and very mechanical and not fluid if we're going to say what we think the NBA offense should look like in a word. So I think DeAndre Hunter doesn't get washed out of the league. There's virtually no chance he's a bust because of what he brings on defense and in some of those intangibles. But I also would be surprised if he ever made an all-star team. So I think they should bring DeAndre Hunter off the bench, but I don't think it'll happen. Now, what they could do, and I'm not sure that the Hawks would lean this way, could they go ultimate small ball? Could they go Warriors East fully and put John Collins at the center, put Cam Reddish at the three, and try to put DeAndre Hunter at the four? DeAndre Hunter at the four is almost where I think he'd be better because I don't think he's going to have to provide the same kind of athleticism at the four that this team really not only needs but deserves from its three. And I think Cam Reddish is in a better position to provide that. And let's not forget about, I don't want to forget this guy either, Bruno Fernando from Maryland. You know, if you watched that Maryland game against Belmont where it seemed almost certain that Belmont was going to knock Maryland out and it was going to be another Maryland failure in the NCAA tournament, Bruno Fernando came up big, man. You know, I like to sometimes judge these college prospects on what do you do for me when the lights are the brightest, when the moment is big. And when the moment was big, Bruno Fernando put that Maryland team on his back and beat a Belmont team where if you watch that game, Belmont should have won that game by 10. There was no reason Maryland should have won, but Bruno Fernando was the reason that that team won. So I'm not saying I think he's going to be a great starter for a long time running in the league, but he's a guy I want on my team as the backup five. Now, two more guys that they've added to their team, neither one of which I think really have a great ceiling, but both of which I'm just intrigued as hell to see them on Atlanta. The first one's Chandler Parsons. I didn't realize he was in the league either. Just a terrible, terrible contract that he signed, and he's just kind of milking off that contract. I don't even know that he can still play, but if Chandler Parsons can give Atlanta anything off the bench, I think that's a huge plus. At one point, he was looked at as not an elite wing, but he was looked at as an above average scoring three slash four. If he can even do just a small amount of that in spurs, I think that's going to help this Atlanta team. And Jabari Parker. Jabari Parker has been just such a massive letdown for people who thought he was the second coming of Carmelo Anthony. I'm not sure he's in shape. I know he can't defend. He seems unmotivated at times. All that to say, I love Jabari Parker on the Hawks. I don't think he starts. But once again, kind of like that Chandler Parsons thing I just said, if he comes in and does a good job in a backup role, I could absolutely see Jabari Parker carving out a role for himself on the bench. And lastly, if you pay attention to the division they're in in the East, it's Washington, who's going to be bad. It's Miami, who I don't think is any good. It's Orlando, who they made the playoffs last year, but I don't think there's any reason to think they're necessarily someone who can't be overthrown easily. It's Charlotte, who I think is a complete dumpster fire. And it's Atlanta. I don't think Atlanta is good enough to win the division this year. But if they were close... Washington's not winning the division. 
I don't think I think Miami's massively overblown. I think Miami can win this division either. Just too many unproven guys. If Orlando fell off, I wouldn't be shocked. They kind of overachieved last year. Charlotte's not winning this division. So while I don't think Atlanta's a front runner to win this division, if all of a sudden in February they're running neck and neck with Orlando, I could see that happening. So the Atlanta Hawks, not a ton in free agency. Add a couple of big names in the draft. You add that with the core of Young, Herter, and Collins. I think Atlanta's taking a step forward this year. How far? We'll just have to wait and see. Uh, thanks for listening to Beneath the Rim. This has been one of our lab episodes. Just quick hits of information, 15 minutes or less. Episodes are coming a little bit later this week. Just have some stuff going on at home, so the recordings just have to get pushed back a little bit. But we'll be back with you on Wednesday for another episode. I'm Kevin Kloss. Thanks for listening. Don't miss a moment of the action. Subscribe to Beneath the Rim for automatic delivery of new episodes in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. 